You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition, another another episode of the drive of the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the twenty eighth of September, twenty twenty two. With some uh, some very very interesting topics that we're going to be speaking about uh, today uh, on today's show. And um, if you're familiar with the breakfast show, normally uh, how 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 we do things or how the running order sort of goes is that uh, before or in the beginning or the beginning part of the show, we sort of uh, speak about the news, what's going on around uh, the world, and uh, just give a give uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 weather forecast as well for today and for the for the upcoming days as well onto the weekend uh, and of course uh, some news articles as I just mentioned and then after that we go into go into our main segments and today we have uh, two main uh, sort of uh, segments that we're going to be speaking about firstly um, we're going to be speaking about something which is uh, I mean it's a natural disaster the disastrous impact of the flood in uh, in Pakistan now the reason the reason why we are doing this is because sometimes some stories some news stories doesn't matter how big or how small it may be sometimes they get uh, they don't get that much information sometimes they don't get that much popularity on uh, on you know on news outlets sometimes people don't are even unaware of it some sometimes people don't even know how wide a scale uh, of an impact it has had on uh, you know on the population of that particular location but here we're speaking about Pakistan in general so it's not just it's not just regions it's it's in fact the whole of Pakistan yes you can say that the north and the south uh, of Pakistan have been affected quite uh, quite drastically um but especially the rural areas but you can you can't say you can't say that it hasn't uh, impacted the whole of Pakistan because it has it has impacted the whole of Pakistan um Humanity First, which is the the charitable organisation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, they have also done uh, raised a hundred thousand pounds in regards to this as well, and donated it to you know for Pakistan because of the you know be, you know of course because of the floods as well. We're going to be speaking a little bit more about that as I mentioned that this is the uh, the first topic that we're going to be speaking about, and we have a number of guests that we will be speaking to as well. So hopefully uh, it will be quite interesting getting their insight as well. Um, and also towards the latter part of the show, we're also talking about renewable energy. Could switching to renewable energy save the world from any com- uh, economic and environmental crisis? As we all know that the, the cost of living is going up, the, the, the cost of fuel, the cost of um, you know, house, uh, you know, uh, energy prices are going up. Cost of living is going up as well, and it's not just it's not just about these energy bills that I'm talking about. It's everything. I mean, going to the supermarket, something that you could buy for one pound before, maybe it's two pounds or three pounds in some in some cases. Or now, because of the economic impact uh, that it has had, what has had and you know what are the impacts of that what was the reason of that the diesel the details of that the nitty-gritty we're going to be speaking a little bit more about that towards the towards the latter part of the show we have some uh, some guests as well that we are going to be uh, that we're going to be speaking to as also 
hopefully it will be a jam-packed show and uh, quite interesting as well if you're interested in these uh, topics and if you want to get in touch with us the lines are open it's an interactive show the number to call in as always is 0208-687-7878 you can also tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK or uh, leave us your comments on our Instagram page which is also Voice of Islam UK we'll be back after a break he claimed to be that lost one awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a God. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago, this Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language. Bala Dimashq, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the First and Second World Wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 2011. However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. 
Um, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, we talk about the we talk about the news. Uh, you know what's happening around the world as well. Um, you know, you know it's hot when when you turn when you turn the heating on in your car. You, you know, yesterday, yeah. yesterday was the first day uh, where I actually turned the heating on uh, in the car, and that's mm. how you know. That's how you know it's getting cold. It's getting cold. Mm. It's not even getting cold. It's. Uh, uh, it's it's a little bit more yeah. than that as well because it's a little bit freezing. You know, you know, it's it takes quite long for the car to actually get warm mm. as well. Now mm. you have to start it up, especially if you've got a diesel. Yeah, you have to you have to st- start it up uh, for a good mm. five minutes mm. before you can actually do something. Yeah, uh, you can actually go because you know if you if you get in the car and you quickly just turn the heating on, mm. it's not going to work. It's going to give out cold air. Isn't that just uh, for the old diesels though? It's for the old. Di- yeah. I mean, the thing. I mean, but the still diesel is still is different than petrol, yeah, isn't it? You yeah. still have to warm it up a little bit more. Mm. Um, you know, the way diesel cars are run is different than is different than petrol cars. But still, but still, it's 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 something that that you know now is the time where you mm. where you need to cover up, man. Now is the time where you can't you can't take it easy. You know where it was? It was the sudden, sudden, sudden plummet that's the thing. in the temperature. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what happened. Just suddenly, overnight, one night, like a few, like. Well, a yeah. week and a half ago, we just suddenly got cold. It just suddenly got cold, yeah. yeah. And, and then, but the thing is, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Now that it's cold, now mm. that it's autumn, and we, it's safe to say that yes, it is autumn right now. Mm. We're not in summer anymore. We're not in late summer. We're yeah. in we're in autumn. But obviously, obviously, people have to turn the heating on, isn't it? Mm. It's it's cold, and the thing is, is that the prices are going up. Yeah, the energy prices are going up, and because of because of that. Many people would actually think about it. Hmm. Many people will think twice. You know, do I actually need to turn turn the heating on right now, or can I just wear a jumper? Can I just wear yeah. some extra layers? Can I just wear socks in the house? Definitely. Um, you know, and that that will keep me that will keep me warm. Maybe hmm. just wear a muffler or a hat or whatever. Yeah. So that these are. I mean, I mean, it's sad to say that this is something which people are actually. Um, actually thinking about and considering, you know, because of the because of the energy crisis, because of the energy prices, they're mm. so uh, because of how much they are increasing, how much they are going up. Um, you know, that's that, that's just one of the things which people are actually looking into. Yeah. Um. So that's just one thing. Anything, anything which has uh, uh, which has come into the news, which is interesting. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm sure, like you know, a lot of the people. He are aware of the, you know, um, Masa uh, Amini, the woman who got um, in Iran. In Iran, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah, was, yeah. Uh, what happened with her and all the protests that are going on over there, the hijab um, it's, it's sad to say that, protests. you know, it's sad to say that a country, uh, you know, uh, like that, which, mm. you know, does, does, promote, uh, does promote Islam. Yeah. But still... Um, what sort of what sort of Islam are they are they, sort of, preaching, are, are they right? preaching? Are exactly. they actually implementing as well? Because Islam doesn't say forcefully put the put the veil on. Hmm. Islam just uh, you know it says in the Holy Quran for women to to actually you know to 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 to, to cover their. She hair she wasn't only she was tortured and insulted by the police as well before her death. I mean that, yeah I mean that's the thing isn't yeah. it? That's the thing. I mean how how can you do that when the Holy Quran does doesn't say forcefully do that? It just hmm. says for for women to actually uh, you know. Put on, put on the Islamic veil. Yeah. Um, but, but that that doesn't mean that it should be implemented with force. If somebody mm. wants to do it, they can. If somebody doesn't want to do it, yeah. I mean, it's 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 on them, isn't it? I mean, she, it, she, and it was just them. because she was wearing it too loosely. But you know, at least 
there's there's a lot of people who who don't even cover themselves up at all. Hmm. But obviously, Islam it says it, it, in the Holy Quran it says there is no compulsion in religion. Yeah. So you can't just uh, kill someone just because they're not you know properly wearing the veil. Yeah. I mean, even if there even if there was a punishment, yeah, that punishment will be only with God, isn't it? Mm. it there's no there's no worldly punishment. Yeah. It's like it's like apostasy. Mm. People think that you know, if you are a Muslim and then you apostate, you become yeah, you know, you, you don't you, you, you claim you, divinity, you claim divinity, or or, or anything else. Yeah. So if you leave uh, mm. Islam and become a Christian or a Jew or whatever, yeah. then then apparently the punishment is death. Mm. But, but it's not. But but it's not. It's it, you know, it's not. There is no there there is no death penalty. There mm. is no not even death penalty there's no punishment there's no imprisonment because of apostasy in islam um you know people people think that there is but but there abs- absolutely isn't mm. if there is any punishment it is only with god and there's no there's no worldly there's no worldly punishment no one has the authority to give anyone uh, a punishment uh, because of apostasy yeah. because of someone not wearing the veil because of somebody you know, not practicing other teachings of Islam. Of mm. course, you know th- there are there are some uh, punishments yeah. uh, which are prescribed for some crimes, mm. right? Mm. Which are related to the wider public. You know, if say say for instance stealing, right? yeah. if someone is a if someone is a is a thief, mm. right? A, a proper thief, not just once or twice, but he's a regular thief. Yeah. Then there is a punishment for that, and mm. you know, just like just like this. When, whenever there's a whenever there's a there's a crime which is committed which affects the the wider public, which uh, creates a disorder in the earth. Yeah. You know it, it. You know it. It plays with people's minds, and people are affected on that on a larger scale. Hmm. Then there is a punishment for, for you know for certain crimes. Yeah. But it's not for every single thing. You know, one of the five pillars of Islam is uh, is prayer. Right. Hmm. Pray, hmm. Praying five times a day. Somebody claims that he's a Muslim. He or she is a Muslim, but they don't pray five times a day. There's no worldly punishment for that. Yeah, you can't, you can't. Someone can't just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to come to your house today, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you up. I'm gonna put hmm. you in prison or whatever. Or there's no, there's no fine for that as well. His, you know, his or her, you know, sort of dealings are with God, hmm. right? Definitely. So there are some things which are which which rest with God, and so there are some things. Which affect mankind as a, at large, but that's a mm. you know it's a broad topic going off a little bit of a in a tangent right now as well. But um, I mean, yeah, we can't we can't say. I mean, you know, those countries which are saying that yes, they are implementing the teachings of Islam, maybe they need to you know read the Holy Quran uh, mm. uh, as well. You know, before all of these, uh, before you know, the authority yeah. takes uh, takes charge as well. Um, anything else? Which another has thing that um, so supposedly, since um, Liz Truss has come into power, hmm. the UK stock market and yeah. bond markets have lost um, five hundred billion in value. Wow! Because of all the you wow. know the things he's having to struggle with the cost of living crisis, hmm. and uh, you know there's a threat for a recession. And um, you know, there's um, the energy crisis. There's also, you know, the pound is uh, depreciating as well. Mm. Um, it's it's going at a, like slow and steady rate. Yeah. Compared to the US dollar, but it's still depreciating. Forty five billion. No, no, five hundred billion. Five hundred billion. Five hundred billion. Mm. Five hundred billion. Five hundred billion dollars. Yeah. But uh, still, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, the UK stock, UK and stock and bond market. <laughs> Has lost that much since she's come into power. Hmm. 
I mean, you know, that's uh, it, it, mm. it, it is a very, very uh, <laughs> five hundred billion. Yeah. You can't even, you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine mm. how much money that actually is. I mean, just looking at just looking at the um, the newspapers for today, the the front papers, uh, the front page of the of the papers. Mm. A lot of them are actually talking about uh, this as well. Uh, Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor, yeah. uh, you know, about the economic crisis and possible shock to markets mm. of the mini-budget before they, they went ahead with a 45 billion tax cut, mm. uh, for, uh, pounds, mm. tax cut funded by government borrowing. And that's what the I is actually saying. The Independent is saying that Tory MPs have demanded the Chancellor uh, acts quickly over fears that millions of homeowners will face a steep hike in mortgage rates uh, that's what the independent is uh, is saying. Something similar. What the Times is saying: mortgage providers have started increasing interest interest rates to level not seen uh, since the financial crisis. As economists uh, economists warned that uh, growing borrowing costs could spark a steep fall in house prices hmm. as well. And so I mean, I mean that's sort of similar similar stories. What the what the front line of the newspapers are actually saying uh, for today. Um, we have uh, a very jam-packed show uh, today. Uh, uh, s- straight after a quick break, we're going to be speaking about the disastrous impact of the floods in uh, in Pakistan. If you are interested, the number to call in, as always, is 0208-687-7878. You're listening to The Voice of Islam. We'll be back after uh, a short break. Al-Muhaymin. The protector, the one who guards all from danger. He sends down the angels with revelation by his command on whomsoever of his servants he pleases, saying, Warn people that there is no God but I, so take me alone for your protector. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned before the break, uh, in this part of the show, in this segment, we're going to be speaking about the disastrous impact of the flood in in Pakistan, now in light of the terrible flood that has, um, you know, overtaken parts of Pakistan, many people, many people are suffering now more than ever before. Um, and what currently has been done in Pakistan? Let's uh, that's something that we're going to be speaking about, uh, uh, you know, in this uh, in this part of the show as well. Um, and it's you know, it's not just it's not just it's not just some regions in Pakistan, as I mentioned before that. It's it's a very very large majority of Pakistan which has been affected uh, because of this. At present, around thirty three million people have been affected by this uh, by this flood, with approximately one thousand five hundred deaths since the middle of uh, of June. More than one third of the country is underwater, and around half a million people have been forced 
into relief camps. Mm. Um, the flood began more than two months ago, and yet thousands of villages, especially rural areas, are still underwater, which has left a significant number of displaced families as well. So there, you know, there is a lot of distress. Mm. There is a lot of uh, tension over there. So I'm delighted to say that. I'm delighted to say that we do have with us on the line our first guest of the morning, Professor Ted Shepherd. Uh, Ted is a specialist in large-scale atmospheric dynamics and circulation and its role in climate change, including extreme events. He has published over 200 peer-reviewed articles on atmosphere and climate science, which have been cited over 12,000 times. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Uh, professor, just to begin with, can you describe your role as a professor of climate science at the University of Reading and uh, what kind of research you've gone, uh, you've done? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. So, like mo- most academics, I do a combination of research, teaching, and training of early career scientists, PhDs, and postdocs. The teaching I'm actually doing is in statistics, which is relevant for extreme events like this. But my research, in general, is the role of atmospheric circulation, which is. Ha- how the air moves, just stream and so on, in climate change, and dealing with the uncertainty, because there's a lot of uncertain aspects about that. So trying to find ways of articulating that, and in particular I've been trying to develop what I call a storyline approach, which is to develop a narrative explanation of how events unfolded. Hmm. And um, how vulnerable are countries like Pakistan to climate change? Um, I'd say very vulnerable. Pakistan's considered one of the more vulnerable countries, and really the vulnerability to climate change is, starts with the vulnerability to climate variability and extreme weather. So you, so you just have to look in history and see which countries are affected by climate variability even before you get to climate change. Hmm. That will give you a pretty good indication. And the reason um, Pakistan is so vulnerable, I, I'd say, is that, well, there's two. One is that it's normally a very dry country, hmm. um, but occasionally the very heavy rain and so like many countries in the subtropical regions that, that that's like the, 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 the condition so the, uh, the country isn't used to rain it's actually prepared for dry most of the time hmm. and the other uh, aspect of being in this sub, subtropical region is that it's it's influenced both by tropical dynamics the monsoon the South Asian monsoon of course which brings a lot of rain but also the mid-latitude jet stream. So the jet stream o- over England is, uh, over the North Atlantic, comes more or less o- over England and uh, Britain, but o- but over um, uh, Pakistan, it actually is further south, o- over Central Asia. The jet um, is a different location over there, and it, and that's a source of weather systems as well. And in, in this event, both of these played a role. Hmm. So, you know, um, coastal countries uh, such as um, Japan, they're quite susceptible to, you know, floods, tsunamis, but they have, uh, you know, great measures in place, such as, you know, you might, you, you're most likely aware of the, you know, the mm. under, uh, crazy underground uh, tunnel system they have. So yeah, yeah. if um, Pakistan or these countries that do get a lot of floods, if they were to, you know, get more measures in place, do you think they'll be safer or? We, yes, well, I've, so we... We think of, um, of course, the attention is, is on climate change, but climate vulnerability is not caused by, by weather. Mm. The vulnerability is caused by people. Vulnerability is about where people choose to live or are forced to live, um, what livelihoods they choose or are forced to choose, how water is managed, who controls the, 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 the decisions about that. Mm. 
social inequality, poverty, because many of the consequences of the flood, there's a lot of resemblance between this event and the one in 2010, yeah. and a lot of the impacts are actually because of disease and, you know, waterborne disease and so on. And that's history, and it's, it's you know, both goes back to the British Raj even, hmm. and of course modern hi- history in terms of the government choices. Yeah. And on top of that, you've got population growth, which is just meaning that in many regions, not, not just Pakistan, it's true in England, too, uh, um, a lot of flood-prone people know it's flood-prone, but there's no other place to build, so people live on flood-prone land. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you did uh, just touch upon some of the other factors as well, but, like, um, are there any other, you know, major factors that uh, can lead to floods? Yeah, it, it's, so it's important to distinguish, let's say, the coastal fl- flooding, which is, you know, caused by tropical cyclones, tsunamis, and so on. But in this case, we're, we're talking about um, flooding that comes from, from rain systems um, and from, from the atmosphere. And so it's about water management practices, really. Mm-hmm. I understand it's a challenge because the water management practices in Pakistan have been designed to hold water, not to get rid of water, because, it's, as, a, as I said, it's normally a dry country, yeah. so you want to hold the water for, for agriculture. Yeah. Makes sense. But then if you do get a deluge, it can be hard to, to get rid of the water. So I recognize it's a challenge, but Pakistan is not unique in that respect. Uh, you know, other countries in subtropical climates have the same challenge. And, of course, in the Indus Valley, the, the, it's very flat, and the mm. water away. I mean, um, I just heard about that there's still areas underwater. After the 2010 floods, some regions were underwater for months. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, so how can we work towards a more climate-resilient society? Well, I think it starts with basically putting people first. Yeah. Uh, which means less social inequality, better health, be- better buildings. For example, I uh, understand that a lot of the houses in, the, in that area are mud houses, which, of course, are not flood. Uh, flood resistant yeah learning from past events i mean i uh, understand that after the 2010 floods there was there were definitely studies done and there were analyses made and i guess some actions might have been taken but it, but of course pe- people forget they lose they lose interest or all, all cost money so i think to really learn from past events and then also early warning systems help because the people some of these things are quite quite predictable a lot of f- flooding especially if it's if it's from a river flow is it's quite predictable, and I think the weather systems are quite predictable as well. Yeah. So that's important, and also education, just so people are are, are aware. But as I said, it basically comes down to putting people first. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, Professor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for shedding light upon this topic. I uh, would love to have you again on some time. Uh, for now, have a good morning and uh, take okay. care. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. So that was Professor Ted Shepard. Uh, you know, he's a professor in the University of Reading. Mm. Um, you know, he this point that he said that putting people first. Mm, that's very important. It's very important. Yeah. Because in uh, Pakistan, let's, let's be honest, we are Pakistanis ourselves. And it is a very corrupt country. Right? Yeah. You yeah. see the corruption I mean, going on every single day. It's sad to say. It's sad it to is say, sad but, to say. But, but, but it is our it, home, it is it home is. country, but it is very corrupt. It's, I mean, it's sad to and say. And the politician that as well. let the people down. That's the thing, isn't it? Mm. That's the thing. I mean, it has it's so much potential. Yeah. It's so much potential because, because you know because of the agriculture, mm. factories. It, it mm. has a lot of potential as well. Being right next to China as well, they've got good connections with China as well. But as you mentioned, sometimes it's the people who are in authority. They just don't let uh, they just don't let it flourish, yeah. isn't it?
they just want to keep uh, everything good for themselves yeah that's it that's exactly what it is may Allah guide them on the right path I mean let's move to our next guest who is on the line with us uh, Dr. Danish Mustafa who obtained uh, who's a professor of uh, critical geography at uh, King's College London who obtained his BA, uh, BA in geography um, from uh, from Middlesbrough College USA uh, his MA from University of Hawaii Assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and good uh, morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning to you as well. How are you? Thank you so much uh, for, for, for joining us. Yes, uh, we're doing good. Thanks uh, for having me. Thank you so much. To begin with, can you describe your role as uh, as a professor of critical geography at King's College London and uh, you know the kind of research that uh, that you've done and you're doing? Well, uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a professor, I do the things that professors do. I teach and I do research. And I have been working on the water sector in Pakistan for the past 30 years. My dissertation research and subsequent research has been on uh, uh, irrigation and flood management issues. I've also worked on drought in Balochistan. I've looked at urban flooding in uh, in Pakistan. Hmm. So a lot of my research is in Pakistan, but I've also worked in other countries of the world. But I suppose today I'm here because you want to talk about Pakistan, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, so what what sort of communities... And uh, social groups have uh, have, a, have a greater vulnerability to flood hazards. Well, inevitably, it's uh, I mean the, the vulnerability to flood hazard is typically differentiated by class, obviously. So, tenant farmers have a greater vulnerability to floods. Mm. Uh, certainly, uh, working class communities in low-lying areas all across uh, urban areas in Pakistan tend to be more vulnerable to floods. Mm-hmm. Women tend to be more vulnerable to floods precisely because of the patriarchal society where uh, they do not have same access to livelihood options, they do not have same access to warning systems, right. they do not have same access to relief. So that becomes a major issue like that. Mm. Well, so what, what, what sort of factors uh, is vulnerability determined by? How can you sort of, uh, you know, know that you know this, you know, this region or this group of people will be will be affected much more? Well, I think that the important part is to distinguish between what we understand to be vulnerability and what is what we understand to be exposure. Exposure is simply like who's exposed hmm. to a particular hazard, right? Right. So people who may have the same exposure might be living side by side with each other may have very different vulnerabilities, right? Uh, one oh. person can understand, got the warning, can understand the warning, can, has the wherewithal to take action, to respond to the warning, has uh, resources somewhere else to be able to shelter themselves, feed themselves, take care of themselves, even though they're living at exactly the same place. Not person, not habit, so that's a different vulnerability. But in terms of exposure, who's living in the way of the flood or the way of a seismic event or something like that? Is different matter altogether. So obviously, people living in flat areas are more vulnerable to floods. People living in low-lying areas are more exposed to floods. But who's vulnerable is a different story. Hmm. Right. Right. So when we talk about when we talk about you know the the regions in in Pakistan, uh, the provinces as well, what areas have been most affected uh, by the by by the floods in Pakistan? Well, at the moment, what has happened is that the monsoon has started to Things. We used to do this before as well. We start getting southwestern monsoons. So this time around, we had a maximum amount of damage in northern Pakistan in Malakan Division around Swat and thereabouts. Swat, these places. 
and you had significant minor damage in certain parts of Tarim Sindh, where, you, where normally you do not get the monsoon pulse, and you had incredible amount of inundation. So I wrote about all of these issues back in 2010 as well, uh, but uh, Pakistani state is incredibly committed to infrastructure engineering, uh, to river control, all the things that they didn't the lap of the colonial industry is happening back 50 years ago. Right. Right. Um, Dr. Danish, thank you so much uh, for for joining us uh, this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, thank you thank once you again. So much. Have a lovely day. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. Now that was uh, Dr. Danish Mustafa, who's a professor of uh, of uh, critical critical geography mm. at King's College mm. London. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, he talked about how um, people who are like uh, some uh, 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 there's like two types of people, right? Uh, they could be living right next to each other, mm. be the same. They'll be susceptible to the flood, but they'll have different vulnerabilities. Right. One person could have a brick house. One person could have a mud house, right? Mm, yeah. And one person is like, you know, listening to the warnings. He's been told in advance and, yeah. you know, he's up to date. He's educated. He knows what's going on. Whereas the other person mm. could be, you know, like a rural, like a person, like, yeah. a, you know, one of the Bedouin types. And he might not know what's going on, right? So um, there's always people of different uh, calibers. You always find people of different calibers. And um, how they're affected, how they're vulnerable will be completely different. One person could be just living on their own and another person could be living with their family and they have to take care of all of their family. So, you know, you do have to take these things in mind and bear in mind that everyone has different circumstances. You know, some people have, uh, you know, different houses as well that mm. they can actually go to. Yeah. You know, say, say, if, say if the warnings are coming in and then, you know, it, it is saying that it is a high chance of mm. it flooding and mm. quite, you know, quite a big flood, not just a small one. A proper big flood. And some some people have houses other way, uh, in other cities. Sometimes they have people have families elsewhere as well that they can relocate to for a temporary uh, amount of time. Hmm. But as you mentioned, you know, some people don't have that. Some yeah. people rely. Some people are just living there in the same hmm. place for their whole life. Um, you know, they, and then they they have children. The children stay there their whole life as well. And then they don't sort of get out of that particular location, that yeah. sort of area. Yeah. Sometimes you see those are mostly those are the villagers, hmm. people who are living in the villages, and they're just there. They literally they're just there. They don't even know what's happening. Hmm. Sometimes you know you go into those villages and they don't even have they don't even have TV. They don't even have sort of you know internet. I exactly, mean, internet is yeah. you know something else, but they don't even have TV. They don't uh, even have electricity. They don't even have electricity in some mm. in some areas, and if mm. they do, it's always load shedding, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you know, you know how you know how mm. it is in Pakistan. So it's it's, it's you know it so is a difficult situation. Yeah, and they, they have these them. they have these days as well. Like for example, you know, um, the um, they have these certain days of for, for you know the Shites of Islam mm. when they celebrate their not celebrate, I would say co- commemorate. You know. Mm. Um, the um, you know in Muharram and stuff. Yeah. When 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 uh, all of this uh, happens. Yeah. Uh, what they do? Um, then they would turn off the electricity. Yeah. Completely and and the telephone services hmm. in the country. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, uh, I don't know why. They, I don't know why. They I don't do know that. what 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 difference that makes. But like <laughs> you know, um, 
But yeah, yeah, that's just that's just how it is. So in terms of uh, you know relief and aid, um, what's been given to Pakistan at the beginning of September, yeah, following an appeal by the United Nations and Pakistan, more than twenty nine aircraft loaded with relief goods arrived in Pakistan from multiple countries, including Turkey, UAE, China, Qatar, Uzbekistan, Jordan, Turkmenistan, and other countries. Yeah, France sent uh, medicines and large pumps that would be would help reduce water levels. France also sent a team of doctors and experts. The UK government has announced humanitarian support uh, of up to 15 million to aid Pakistan's flood response. The Pakistani army has established more than 147 relief camps that um, provide basic necessities to displaced families and including shelter and food for more than 50,000 people. 250 medical camps have also been set up that has helped around 83,000 people so far. And at the beginning of September, the United States pledged 30 million worth of aid for the flood victims. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the Humanity First, uh, the charitable organization yeah. of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. They have also donated a uh, hundred hundred thousand pounds for mm. emergency assistance in Pakistan. Um, the 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 prime ministers, I mean, they they provided hundred thousand uh, pounds to the prime minister's uh, flood relief fund as part of its ongoing support for the disaster hit victims. Uh, you know, in, in in Pakistan now over. Uh, as mentioned, over 33 million women, children and men are experiencing a humanitarian crisis following the unprecedented flooding, which has uh, hit large parts of Pakistan, mm. which over 1,500 lives lost and nearly 2 million homes damaged and uh, damaged the extent of the damage. Um, you know the, the the damage is sort of mm. immeasurable. You can't even you can't even comprehend. Sometimes there's videos, right? Of uh, the flood taking down buildings, mm. tall mm. buildings, mm. schools, you know, everything, literally mm. taking everything in its uh, in its swoop. Now, this uh, donation is a is in response to the emergency appeal for funding from the government uh, of Pakistan, and these funds will provide urgent humanitarian needs on the ground in the ground across um, large parts of Pakistan. Now. Humanity First disaster relief teams have also assisted victims of natural disasters across many parts of the world with flood, water, shelter and medicine, uh, with sorry, food, water, mm. shelter uh, and medicine in in some uh, of the hardest to reach areas. And those are the areas which need the most help as well. Yeah. Um, the chairman of Humanity First UK, Dr. Aziz Ahmed Hafiz, expressed his deepest condolences to His Excellency uh, Mr. Muazzam Ahmed Khan for the people of Pakistan following this catastrophic disaster. Uh, he said that we at Humanity First are deeply saddened by the loss of life in Pakistan following the horrific flooding. With millions of people impacted by the heavy rains, our thoughts and prayers go out to all those uh, affected. In mm. response to the appeal by the government of Pakistan and the Prime Minister, we have also today donated £100,000 to the Prime Minister's Flood Relief Fund. Mm. And Humanity First continues to support the, the worldwide efforts for its emergency relief workers to ensure that help is delivered to those most in need. Uh, and that's, you know, that's uh, just, this is just one thing which Humanity First yeah. is doing, yeah. uh, you know, it's right now. It's great work they're doing. Mm. It's, uh, may Allah bless them. May Allah bless them, Absolutely. Uh, make it make you know make uh, make uh, may Allah make uh, make a difference mm. to all of these you know mm. appeals uh, and you know the help which is being uh, done uh, being uh, you know which is coming in from mm. neighboring countries as yeah. well. 
You know, time and time again, we see throughout history that um, mm. Allah the Almighty sends down warners for His people to bring them back to the right path. Mm. And um, you know, when when that doesn't happen, people start to go astray. You know, people do argue that this this could be uh, from God, mm. right? Uh, but uh, people also say that you know that there's there's no justice. Some people argue, say that there's no justice when it comes to God, mm. but th- they don't realize that, uh, especially in, in in terms of Islam, that the beautiful teaching of Islam is that God isn't just. It says so in the Holy Quran that rahmati wasiyat kulla shay, meaning that Allah the Almighty says my mercy, my mercy mm. encompasses everything, mm. right? That's yeah. what people need to realize. So that God is more than just. Ju- God, God is more than ju- just. Justice would, is for us humans. Exactly. Mm. He, justice is being equal, right? But, right. Um, like uh, if you an do something bad, an eye for an eye is justice, eye. Yeah. right? But uh, Allah the Almighty says so in the Holy Quran as well that th- that's the like the teaching of the Bible, right? Um, the Torah that an eye for an eye, or you can turn the other cheek, which is the softer side. But in Islam, it teaches you, فَمَنْ أَفَاءَ أَسْلَهَا فَجْرُهُ إِلَّا Meaning, whoever forgave. Uh, even if it's uh, like a big thing, if whoever it, forgave, mm. his uh, reward is with Allah the Almighty. Mm. If 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 that if that forgiveness is good for if, the other if person, if that forgiveness is good for, the, good other for the other person, exactly. exactly, exactly. So you know that's that's actually very very much important as well. We mm. we need to realize that uh, you know if you're if you're doing something bad, mm. you have a certain time period mm. of doing something of you know of, of of going in that wrong path. Yeah, but there will come a time where God Almighty will say, you know, that's it. That's it. Th- that's it. Now, you know, you deserve this. Mm. So, you know, we're not saying mm. we're not saying that this is this mm. is deserved. We're not saying that of at course, all. Of course. But what we are saying is that God Almighty sends different types mm. of signs, mm. right? Yeah. Whether it, whether there could, it could be a meteor, mm. it could be a flood, it could be droughts, it mm. could be famine, whatever mm. it may be, God Almighty sends different signs, earthly mm. signs. Like even in the time of Moses, right? That he sent, uh, you know, he sent those uh, locusts and and, um, all the rains and all the other type of um, diseases, illnesses, illnesses. illnesses. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. There are different types of signs, and we don't know, Mm. we don't know uh, what is specifically Mm. that you know that. Okay, this is this is a sign from God that yes, we should, uh, you know, people should actually think about themselves. But everything is a sign in that in that sense as well. We Mm. can we can say that. You know, everything is uh, is from God. Mm. Is for us to open our eyes mm. and realize that you know th- there is a Creator. Mm. There is a a you know a code of conduct that we need yeah. to live by. And if we break that code of conduct, if we go away from that sort of rules and regulations, mm. then these sort of things are bound to happen. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But you know, it's uh, it, you know. It's it's an eye opener. It's mm, an eye opener. Definitely. Just like COVID, we don't say that this was, you know, just like this, this was the plague at the time of the mm, promised Messiah mm, upon whom mm. be peace. The founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, because that was definitely a sign. Yeah. God Almighty told him that this is mm. a sign for you. Mm. But th- we we don't say that this is a sign in that sense. Mm. But we do say that you know mankind that, does need to realize it's that Allah Almighty does send down signs time and time again hmm. to realize to make people, people realize, to realize yeah. that there is a maker exactly and right? for people to actually come back hmm. come back to, that to the maker, right path to the right path and uh, you know realize hmm. that there is a bigger purpose in life as well uh, we're going to be continuing this topic for a little bit longer after the news so don't go anywhere we'll be back 
after a short break. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, we're going to be continuing this topic for uh, for a little bit longer uh, as well. Uh, you're talking about the floods which are in Pakistan, and we're going to be speaking to our next guest. Yeah, we do have online with us our next guest of the morning, Professor Haley Fowler. Uh, who's a professor of climate change and uh, U- Newcastle University? Um, she is um, a professor of climate change uh, impact in the School of Engineering at Newcastle University. Her research focuses on improved physical understanding of changing part, um, precipitation, uh, precipitation extremes and providing better projections for climate adaptation. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show, Professor. Hello. Uh, just to begin with, can you please describe your role as, um, you know, the professor of climate change impacts at Newcastle University and what kind of research you've done? Um, I guess I've done a lot of research over the last couple of decades into why weather extremes are changing around the world. So that goes all the way from um, rainfall extremes, heat extremes, that type of thing from um, observations. We actually collect and quality control Hmm. data as well around the world. And we also run um, things, physically based climate models as well to tell us about how the climate might change um, with increased greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere. Um, Could you uh, also please tell us what causes, um, you know, these floods to happen in Pakistan, you know, so, and they occur like every now, uh, every often as well? Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's a combination of factors, as with all extreme events. Yeah. Um, this this year, it's really been about uh, the very um, strong La Nina that we're seeing in the Pacific, which is a, um, a circulation system. Um, it's like a coupled atmospheric ocean circulation. You tend to get stronger um, monsoon rains over both India and Pakistan when you get a La Nina. Now, this is the second year in a row we've had La Nina, so obviously we've got stronger rains this year. But we've also got another thing in the northern hemisphere that's um, called a Rosby wave. Hmm. Um, And you'll have seen these sort of extremes all over the northern hemisphere this summer. And these are kind of connected. So we've had a big heat wave in Europe, for example. Um, We've had a big heat wave in China as well. And one in Japan earlier in the year. And one in the US as well. But we've also seen these these big flood events, particularly the one in Kentucky that we saw earlier in the summer. And the one in Pakistan as well. Um, And they're coupled, basically. We get the planetary waves, if you like, these big sort of, um, you can almost think of them as like um, streams of water, but they're obviously in the atmosphere. So mm. the streams of air in the atmosphere, and they're driving um, air around the planet. Yeah. And they're more um, unusual than usual. They're kind of more wavy in pattern. And that, that means that they tend to, to um, trap weather systems in place Hmm. and what can happen is it can then rain over a very large area like pakistan for a very long time or it can be very hot you know over an area for a very long time Hmm. and um why is it that climate change uh, makes floods more likely so again it's it's those processes um so not not la nina because that happens naturally yeah um and goes in cycles but but very much um it's to do with the fact that the atmosphere can hold more moisture hmm. if it's warmer. So 
um, as the atmosphere warms, um, a warmer atmosphere is actually able to hold more moisture within it. But also you've got processes like um, evaporation from the sea surface uh, can increase with a warmer ocean temperatures as well. So you kind of got more evaporation into the atmosphere hmm. and then the atmosphere itself can hold more moisture. Um, and for every degree of warming, it can hold about 7% more moisture. Hmm. And, and then that coupled with the fact that we've got these kind of slightly more unstable um, planetary waves as well, yeah. uh, allowing systems to stay a bit more stationary than they used to, hmm. means that you, you know, you've got slower moving weather systems and they're wetter as well. Hmm. They can drop a lot more moisture or a lot more rain, sorry, over a particular location, which is what we've seen in Pakistan. We yeah. obviously saw it in 2010 as well, the same sort of thing. But then, um, you know, in Afri- African countries where, like, the temperature is, like, in some pl- countries, it's really, really hot. But then we see that, you know, rainfall doesn't occur there for even years on end. Well, I mean, you have to have moisture in the atmosphere. So, I mean, it, in some parts of the world, you, you, you won't get rainfall. Mm. Um, it gets hot. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's to do with basically the amount of um, moisture in the atmosphere as well. So yeah. if you're... This is why we've seen a big increase in um, extreme rainfall around the coasts, particularly because you're obviously near the ocean. Hmm. Um, and um, in somewhere like Pakistan, you've got the monsoon uh, weather system, which brings in that, that huge amount of moisture from um, from both the Arabian uh, Sea and and from the Pacific as well um, into 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 Pakistan. Yeah. Um, but there are parts of the world where where obviously you just you don't get weather systems bringing moisture in and it gets drier and drier and hotter and hotter hmm. as the as the moisture evaporates from the, yeah. the land surface and disappears. Um, how could the UK be affected by increasing global temperatures in the future? Well, I mean, it's certainly getting warmer already. So we've seen um, increases in temperatures, in the mean temperatures and in the occurrence of heat waves in the UK. And obviously, we saw... Um, a 40 degree temperature for the first time in the UK uh, earlier this year. Very unusual. We saw a huge number of uh, weather uh, weather records or temperature records broken across both the UK and Europe earlier this year in the one event. So it's going to get hotter. We're going to get more heat waves. um, But it's also going to get wetter in the winter. Hmm. Um, More storm events, more of the sort of wind storms that we've seen this winter, like Storm Arwen but also more potentially big um, storms bringing the sort of, not the sort of flooding we've seen in Pakistan in the sense that they'll never be quite as big as that probably, but um, the sort of flooding that we saw with Storm Desmond perhaps, um, you know, Hmm. extensive winter floods. But the other thing is that in the summer in general, it's going to get drier and hotter, but it's going to be punctuated by um, these very intense downbursts that we're starting to see a bit more of now, these that cause flash floods. So we get these kind of intense thunderstorm type events um, and they cause these these flash floods. Um, so in general, it's not good in terms of extremes, um, you know, where we're moving to with climate change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Professor, for joining us uh, this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for now, please take care and have a good morning. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. That was, uh, you know, very interesting yep. uh, uh, listening to listening to Professor Haley Fowler over there as well, and and all of these things are very very much important, isn't it? Hmm. That we that we actually raise awareness as well, and people actually realize that uh, you know if you're doing something which is um, creating or impacting climate change, 
that yeah it's not it doesn't just it might not affect mm. you directly but it will, it can indirectly affect you can or it can also affect people who are around the world mm. as well um so if you're doing something which which affects someone else someone else might be doing something which affects you isn't it yeah so it's sort of a, it's a give and take but also it's it's just it just goes um back to what we were saying before as well that we need to be we need to be just uh, in 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 you know in our dealings as well yeah we you know we, we we you know like for your brother what you want for yourself what you like definitely, for yourself definitely and uh, let's listen to an audio clip of his holiness um uh, you know in regards to in regards to climate change uh, let's listen to that last year there was the flood in pakistan which was the worst flood in the history of the uh, of the country from sarhad to sindh uh, it uh, affected and damaged all provinces and the analysts they, they say that uh, it was uh, much uh, more damaging than the tsunami in indonesia even still the people are sitting in the camps uh, neither uh, regarding their rehabilitation there is no any attention being paid nor the mullah who show their sympathy to these people those who are always inciting the uh, p- uh, these people against ahmadis uh, there is completely lawlessness and disorder in the country but still the people are not understanding what is being happen- happening to them why it is happening to them and uh, they are continuously continuously denying the imam of the age when this uh, re- last year when the flood was there then the mullah used to give the satisfaction to the people and the discussion was there on the tv that uh, this is not a punishment the, rather it is a trial they used to say and uh, ibtila and the trial comes uh, to those people and then they themselves uh, admit that the punishment is uh, only at that time when somebody a prophet is there and as the, according to them there is no prophet therefore it is not uh, a punishment and so far as the claim of the claimant is concerned they don't pay attention to that allah almighty have mercy on these people a few years back uh, there was a very severe earthquake which uh, uh, which uh, resulted in a lot of destruction here and there but still they don't uh, take lesson from that because these people don't think don't ponder that uh, uh, the allah almighty had made the prophecy the the one who was sent by allah almighty he made the prophecy on the basis of divine knowledge and as i said i have read out the quotation he the promised messiah said that some calamities will come during my lifetime and some will come after me so open up your eyes get some lesson learn some lesson from it oh ye eh those uh, oh ye people who claim to have the eyes eyes and the eyesight Hazrat Musa Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam had made it very clear that looking at the calamities in other countries don't think that you are safe and rather he explained that uh, my prophecies are regarding all the countries nor punjab is exception to that uh, at that time uh, people used to say that there was no earthquake in punjab he said neither punjab is an exception nor any other area of the subcontinent is safe he explained it very clearly that uh, uh, the truth cannot be concealed anyway so therefore you should uh, have some concern and worry about that and then i quote uh, present another quotation he says that uh, remember 
that Allah Almighty has given me the news about the earthquakes in a general way. So you understand it fully that as the earthquakes have struck America, similarly as they have struck in America, and also in various areas of Asia, the earthquakes will come, and some of will will be present will be like the doomsday, and the flying birds will not even be saved, and on the earth there will be so widespread destruction that since the creation of human beings, such a destruction has not been seen. and some areas will be rest completely without any living being there and there will be other calamities will also visit this earth in the heaven on the earth and the heaven very horrible so much so that uh, every intelligent would uh, consider them as something extraordinary so that was that was a uh, translation of uh, of uh, one of the friday sermons of his holiness Uh, which he delivered as well talking about uh, talking about you know the signs of God almighty as well um we're going to be taking a very short break that actually comes uh, you know draws a conclusion to to the first topic after the short break we're going to go straight into our next uh, segment um which is going to be very very interesting as well so do tune in do stay tuned and we'll be back after a short break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. He claimed to be that lost one, awaited by all major fates of the world. He claimed to be that Krishna that Hindus were waiting so long for. He claimed to be that Buddha about whose coming the previous Buddha had prophesied. He was that Jesus son of Mary awaited by both Christians and Muslims alike. He said he was the great reformer predicted by Guru Baba Nanak as well as the second coming of Zoroaster. He said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a god. He sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of God. Now, just who was he? He was the Messiah of mankind, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Ghadian, and he was not a liar. Fourteen hundred years ago, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of God be upon him, claimed that the promised Messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of Damascus. It is recorded in writing that around one hundred years ago, This Messiah, sitting in an unknown, undeveloped Indian village, which lay on the same latitude to the east of Damascus, no less, received the following revelation in the Arabic language, Bala Dimash, meaning destruction in Damascus. He prophesied the first and second world wars, and he also predicted that a great war would start from here. It is no secret that the Syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time. A conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the Syrian civil war started in 
However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. In this part of the show, we are going into our next segment, which is uh, about renewable energy. Could switching to renewable energy save the world from an eco- economic and environmental crisis? So, both of our topics today are, are very much interlinked and uh, they sort of, you know, the the uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, a nice way to actually come into this segment as well, talking about climate change in the first part of the show as well. As it is an interactive show, if you want to get in touch with us, the number to call in, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Now, in a recent study led by the University of Oxford, states that switching from fossil fuels to renewable energy could save the world twelve trillion. Dollars. 12 trillion? Yeah. 
And that's 10.2 trillion pounds. Unimaginable amount. You you can't even imagine that. You can't fathom it. You you, you can't. You literally Mm. can't. You can't comprehend it. You absolutely can't. You can't think about it. It's impossible. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, no, literally, I mean, I'm being honest. I know, like, I know. The amount trillion. Yeah, that's just yeah. a crazy amount. Yeah, you can't. Mm. Even, but the thing is, the thing is, right? I, I don't know. This is just mm. me thinking, mm. right? I, mm. I don't think we can go 100 percent mm. uh, without fossil fuels, without burning fossil fuels. Maybe like 100 mm. years in the future, potentially. Yeah. Maybe when we've got the resources. Mm. Maybe when we've got the infrastructure. Maybe when we've run out of fossil fuels. And we're forced. Yeah. <laughs> and we're forced. And we're forced to, right? <laughs> to go to renewable we're energy. We're forced to go to renewable energy. Exactly. But exactly. you know, like um, hydropower and wind power, all of this is, yeah. is, is solid. If, it if, is solid. Yeah. It is solid. But how expensive is it? Mm. Think about it, right? If you think about and, it. If, and nuclear energy. Yeah. Nuclear, I mean, yeah, nuclear energy is very powerful mm. and it's a solid thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, not physically. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> by, by solid, but, we mean it's, it's yeah, something, something's it's, there, it's concrete. It's yeah. like, but the thing mm. is, is that how expensive is it? If you, yeah. if you, you just look at, just look at the example no, but, of cars, but, right? You know, when people say something so expensive, yeah, we made money up. Yeah. Money didn't exist before. I, I know like people work on wages and stuff. I understand that. Yeah. But, it's a man-made thing. To value, it's a man-made to value concept. something. Yeah. To value something. Yeah. I mean, obviously, people have to if, have to if make. If we a know anyway. that we have we have no other way to survive, mm. people will do it for free. I know what you mean. I know what right? you mean. But that otherwise, it'd be the he- uh, the end of the uh, human human race. The thing is, is that then all of these all of these corporate organizations mm. they're going to plummet, isn't it? Yeah, but the the at, at least everyone in the world will be fine. Yeah, but people, yeah, but don't, people, people exactly. This is what's happening in Pakistan as well, as we were speaking in our previous topic. Yeah, that people just care about lining their own pockets. The politicians. That's exactly what it is. Mm. Looting, looting the public. Exactly. Isn't it? That's exactly what it is. Uh, sometimes you know, sometimes it, it does seem like that. Mm. But you know, that's why that's why we were we were talking about this before as well. Yeah. That you know, when there's no when there's no justice mm. in the system, then that's when all of these happen. All of these things happen. Um, so you know, it's it's something that we need to definitely look into. Hmm. So we do have online with us our first guest of the morning for this segment, Dr. Justin uh, Hinselwood, who is a senior lecturer in the Renewable Energy Team in the College of Engineering, Mathematics and Physical Sciences at the University of Exeter. Uh, He has a background in biophysics, software engineering and integration of renewable energy technologies. Good morning. Peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Professor. Good morning, Professor. I think uh, uh, we, we maybe yeah. have our next guest, our next guest who is on the line with us at the moment. Our, our first guest uh, was difficult to get in touch with him. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get in touch mm. with him uh, a little bit uh, later. But uh, uh, Mr. Roy Vicky, uh, are you with us? I am with you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us, uh, Mr. Vickery. Apologies for that. Um, how are you doing this morning? Are you okay? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for for joining us. For the benefit of our listeners, um, what, what you know, what what are the the sort of the causes, the main causes of environmental pollution, and and how does re- non-renewable energy resources affect it in 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 this regard? 
Well, first of all, I liked the bit you said earlier about um, justice, because this is the real problem, which is the people who use least, who suffer most. You know, it's the poor people who always suffer first. So it's not just a ecological thing, it's a social thing as well. Uh, basically, I think the problem is we all use far too much. And uh, I agree, we do should use more renewables, such as wind power, sun power, etc., wave power, etc., etc. Mm. But really, I think the problem is we use too much. We, uh, in the West, at least, we tend to, you know, just use water uh, without thinking, showering twice a day, possibly. And basically, we need to cut back. And the same goes for, you know, uh, cars and that sort of thing. We drive too much. We just need to walk more, uh, consider our journeys more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're an active member of the uh, of the Green Party since the early 1980s. Um, and you've been active in national and London-wide roles um, you know, especially especially in the Wandsworth Council as well, in the local party in, in Wandsworth. Um, sort of, what what are what what are the current reasons why we cannot combat environmental pollution? You know, to this day, is I mean, is there a lack of awareness, or is there just not that much uh, that you know, funding that goes into it? What's the sort of what's the main reason? I think a lot of this pollution is invisible, so we don't see it. I mean, if, hmm. if our air went uh, bright red one day and we could actually see the pollution, then we would notice and do something about it. But, uh, you know, the particulates which the, um, are produced by car tires and that sort of thing are invisible, so we're unaware of it. And as far as climate change goes at present, Hmm. the worst things are happening overseas they're not happening here in Britain I mean if the flood if the Thames was to flood then I mean we would start taking notice but when hmm. floods are happening in Bangladesh or uh, somewhere in Central Africa we tend to ignore it it doesn't make much news here yeah I mean sadly isn't it sadly um, what, 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 what can we do in order to tackle this issue at hand and how can we use you know different sources of energy renewable energy sources more effectively in this day and age well as i keep on saying first of all we have to cut back on our use of energy because even if we have renewables such as wind power wave power a lot of effort a lot of resources go into building those wind turbines uh, and the wave turbines etc etc so, to me, the simple way to do things is simply cut back, switch off lights, uh, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, you know, you only need to walk along any town centre at night, and the lights are on all over the place. Hmm. Hmm. I'm sorry that's not really answering your question, but it is an alternative approach. It's an alternative yeah, approach. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely. different ways there's different ways which we can, you know, do that as well. And hmm. for, for, for our listeners out, out there, could you say? Could you share some of your organize? You know what your organization does, uh, Friends of Earth, and what you've been doing so far, what your future plans are, and how people sort of support your cause as well. Yeah, well, I'm not associated with Friends of the Earth. I mean, I support them, but I've never been active with them. Hmm. Uh, basically, I I personally do two things. First of all, um, as you may know, I'm a botanist. So therefore, I go out and take people on plant walks and talk about the local plants and how important they are. 
and what uses they have had, what uses they might have. So this means that people appreciate their local environments rather more. And I think it encourages people to think that they do not need to go off to Madagascar or some tropical place to see fantastic plants. They can see them in their local parks, in their local gardens, and on their local commons. So that cuts down on transport and also makes people appreciate the local. Um, and the other thing I try to do is simply persuade people to use less, buy less, and use less. That is my personal approach. There are other people within the Green Party, which is my main environmental activity, who are very much into renewable energy. But um, as I say, you know, actually producing renewable energy does use up quite a lot of energy before you even get started. So it is easier to use what we have more wisely, in my opinion. Uh, Mr. Roy, would you say that, you know, uh, we as a society would benefit from, you know, learning from our ancestors back in the day where, you know, we had um, less technology and we would, you know, rely more on, like, we would walk to a lot of places, we would enjoy, um, like, when technology wasn't around, you know, people wouldn't be putting up skyscrapers or anything like that. People would just enjoy what they have and they'd be content with that. Do you think we can learn from that and we should uh, adopt those ways again? Of course, it's not so much technology. It's simply, um, you know... uh, renewing and reusing. I mean, my grandparents would, uh, you know, repair clothing, darn clothing, and I'm sure your grandparents would as well. Mm. So they kept things going for longer. But now we have so much uh, cheap clothing available, or comparatively cheap clothing available. If a button falls off, we just um, throw it out or take it to a charity shop. We don't reuse it ourselves. Mm. Mm. And, you know, there's so much like that which could be done so easily um, and I admit I, I don't sew myself and I have a pile of shirts which need minor repairs done to them which yeah. one day I hope to do but that is the sort of thing which you know an older generation did do quite naturally mm, definitely definitely Mm. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, speaking to you with this more uh, this morning. Um, would love to have you again on another time. Please do have um, a good morning and take care for now. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So that was uh, Mr. Roy Vickery, who has been an active member of the Green Party, um, formerly um, formerly Ecology, um, since the early 1980s, mm. and uh, he has also been an, uh, active in national and London-wide roles. His main concern has been his local party in Wandsworth, as in, um, and he's also been a professional botanist, as he mentioned, you know, and he's uh, yeah. interested in how climate change might be changing the flora of Britain and Ireland. You know, it's, you know, we were talking about, we, before, previously, right, we were mm-hmm. talking about the floods in, uh, you know, in Pakistan as well. Yeah. But, you know, we see hurricanes happening, uh, you know, especially in, in America, mm. right? There's another, there's a, there's a hurricane uh, called Hurricane Ian, mm. and that has knocked out power across all of Cuba, mm. right? And uh, it's, it's, it's left 11 million people without electricity oh, wow. after it slammed into the island's western tip. Now, the uh, Cuba's electric union said that power was initially knocked out for, for about one million people in the country's western provinces. Mm. But later, the entire grid collapsed. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we see this happening a lot as well. Mm. The hurricane made uh, a, a landfall as the Category 3 storm, 
yeah. on the island's western end and devastating Binar de Rio province and destroying some of the country's most important farms as well. Uh, and that's its uh, sort of uh, uh, revenue, isn't it? That's its uh, affecting its uh, affecting its, uh, its export. Now, tens of thousands of people have been evacuated or had uh, fled before uh, Hurricane Ian caused flooding and damaged households as well. You know, the the, uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. National Hurricane Center said mm. Cuba suffered significant wind and storm surge impacts when the hurricane struck with top uh, winds of 125 miles per hour. And people, people still don't believe, people still don't think that there is a, there's such thing as uh, as climate change. Yeah. In fact, you know, there are some there are some world leaders. There are some world leaders, mm. right, who who don't believe in climate change, uh, glo- global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it. Now, um, it's uh, you know, it, I don't, I don't, I, I literally don't know how mm. or, or why people don't uh, believe believe in this. Mm. But it's definitely there. The reason people don't believe in it is because it's not affecting their day to day life. Mm. I believe they're just living in their own bubble, yeah, and they don't care for what's happening to the planet. And why and how, why and how a lot of people in other countries, less fortunate countries, are suffering from climate climate change. People don't people don't um, you know people don't tend to put themselves in the shoes of uh, the less fortunate. Hmm. They just uh, live about their own life and they just live in their own little bubble. That's what Mr. Vickery was talking mm, about. Exactly, as well. he was saying that you people know, need to be more considerate. People, people need mm. to be more considerate as well, but mm. because you know, some we, we're not seeing the sort of floods that are yeah. happening in Pakistan mm. or Bangladesh. We're not seeing the hurricanes which mm. are happening in in Florida, in Cuba, in these mm. sort of uh, areas, where we sort of become a little bit uh, relaxed to it, or we, we, we it sort of becomes normal for us to hear mm. about this happening mm. because it's not effect, affecting us directly. But if it was affecting us directly then maybe we would be in a different uh, state as well. Um, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, yeah. pe- we, you know, we need to be a little bit more considerate. If you do something, that might affect someone else, but if mm. someone does something, that might, that might affect you. It's, uh, it's something to be, to, to be, you know, to actually notice and uh, make an active change. Definitely. Right? Not just talk about it, but actually make that change uh, at hand as well. Definitely. So, um, you know, we do have online with us our uh, last uh, guest of the morning, uh, Rachel Kennelly, uh, who is an international climate campaigner at Friends of the Earth, grassroots environmental campaigning network active in the UK and in 73 countries around the world. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Rachel. Good morning. Hi. Hi there. Uh, for our listeners out there, uh, what are the causes of environmental pollution, and how do uh, you know non-renewable energy resources affect it in this regard? Yeah. So there are lots of so there are lots of different types of environmental pollution, right? There's, mm. there's and they kind of affect wildlife and nature and our health in different ways. Yeah. Um, and you know, ones that have been in the news quite a lot recently, things like. Um, sewage going into our rivers and into onto beaches that's environmental pollution there's mm. air pollution that can cause asthma and breathing difficulties and really impacts kind of children's lungs 
Um, and then there's things like, you know, oil spills that happen at sea or on land that kind of kill wildlife and devastate habitats. Um, but then there's also kind of the, the pollution that we, we can't see so easily. Um, and that's kind of climate changing pollution. So gases like carbon dioxide and methane that are released into the air and then they stay in the atmosphere for years and they cause uh, changes to our climate and changes to weather patterns uh, that cause all sorts of problems. Um, and that type of pollution comes from a load of different sources, mm. um, from kind of the food we eat and how we produce our food, um, from some industrial processes like making concrete and cement. Um, but most of that climate changing pollution comes from burning of coal, oil and gas, right? We call them fossil fuels. Um, and we burn those, burn that coal, oil, and gas um, for energy, for electricity, mm. Mm. for transportation. You know, petrol. That's that's a form of uh, fossil fuel. So we're burning them in our cars and in our kind of lorries. Mm. We use it for cooking, right? If you cook on gas, that's yeah. that's fossil fuel. And also, obviously, for industry, like huge amounts in industry. Um, and it's really that pollution coming from that burning that we really need to stop because that's behind a lot of the climate change we're seeing and the disasters that that causes and i know you've been talking a bit about kind of you know the, the floods in pakistan and the you know you can also look at kind of the heat waves here in the uk right yeah we saw in the uk we saw the temperatures go above 40 degrees for the first time ever this summer hmm. and that that is not normal for the uk as i'm yeah. sure we are all aware yeah <laughs> um there's why it's been wildfires across much of Europe. Um, there's been kind of the devastating droughts that are continuing in Africa. Um, we've seen millions of people suffering this year, mm. um, and, and economies being harmed as well. Like this isn't just kind of like uh, people livelihoods are devastated. Economies really suffer. Mm. Um, and what tends to happen is it tends to be the people. Um, who are the most poor and most disadvantaged communities that suffer these impacts most. Um, and they tend to be the people who've done least to cause this problem. So when we're talking about kind of climate change and environmental pollution, we are obviously we're talking about kind of like the technical kind of the gases and kind of the temperature increase, but also it's a real kind of a social justice issue mm. that these gases are having a real effect on people's lives. And it tends to be the people who've done least to cause them that are suffering the worst impacts mm. like take pakistan for example yeah. those floods have been worsened by by climate change and pakistan is not doing a lot of kind of emitting huge amounts of carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere that mm. tends to be you know european countries the us yeah. Yeah. china um so yeah there's this real urge to cut those um cut the burning of those fossil fuels to stop that pollution um to stop climate change hmm. that, that's going to be great um but also to stop those other types of pollution because yeah. burning of the fossil fuels also comes with you know the air pollution you know if you walk by a busy road you know you can smell you can feel kind of the air pollution coming from the cars hmm. um as well so yeah we really need to move away from coal oil and gas to a clean reliable affordable renewable energy as soon as possible yeah but you, you know, like we are in modern times, and um, mm. you know, as they say, modern um, problems require modern solutions. But um, why is it that we are still unable to, you know, properly combat environmental pollution even in these times? Oh, it's such a good question, isn't it? Because mm. um, we basically know how to, 
you know it's it's not through a a lack of understanding yeah we we have the science we have the research we we should be able to do it mm. um i think the last eight months you know basically all of 2022 have shown us that our energy system is really broken mm. right we've seen this energy crisis in the uk and around the world because we're so kind of over reliant on gas in particular we've seen all those devastating impacts in flooding and droughts and heat waves that have all been worsened by climate change and now we're facing a winter in the UK of like unaffordable energy bills, like mm. so high. Mm. And some people will not be able to heat their homes this winter. In fact, millions of people won't be able to. Um, so it's very clear that the energy system isn't really working for people. And it's putting kind of fossil fuel company profits, which mm. are huge, yeah. over people's basic needs. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's kind of that imbalance is what we really need to get to why aren't we addressing this problem as if it's not working for people um so yeah we really need to kick that habit of burning coal oil and gas hmm. and luckily there are ways to do that so already the uk gets about 40 percent of its electricity yeah. from renewable clean energy hmm. which i don't think a lot of people realize that you know when you plug your kind of your kettle in in the morning um about 40 percent of that energy is coming from clean energy already hmm. um but we could go much further and we need to go much further and i think a lot of it is about political will it's about politicians getting behind it and fixing the whole system definitely, um, definitely. so yeah in but there are lots of things we can do so that's just electricity but we can we can also change uh, how we heat our homes mm. at the moment we mainly use gas in the uk we can move that to different alternatives we can also insulate our homes to reduce uh, our bills as well mm. um we can also like and moving away from coal oil, and gas would also stop seeing these you know the massive spikes in the energy prices mm. because that's so dependent on the gas markets yeah um Unfortunately, the new government under Liz Truss is doing exactly the opposite mm. of what we need to do. Mm. Um, so the Prime Minister and her cabinet have, are trying to start more mining and drilling for oil and gas mm. in the UK. So they've put um, the North Sea or more of the North Sea up for grabs by oil and gas companies. Yeah. And they've overturned the ban that we had on fracking for oil and gas in England as well. Mm. Um, and these both these projects, so they won't bring energy prices down um, and they will increase kind of this environmental pollution, this climate changing pollution. Mm. Um, whereas if you look at renewables like tidal power from the oceans or wind or solar, they can be as much as nine times cheaper than gas um, and even more so for mm. coal and oil. So, you know, it's, it's a cheap uh, alternative that politicians just aren't getting behind. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because, you know, despite long term it being more expensive to, mm. and dangerous to say with oil and gas and coal mm. um, and also that sacrificing people around the world to things like the floods and the heat waves um, it suits them better in the short term to stick mm. with oil and gas unfortunately yeah yeah as, as you mentioned you know unfortunately the um, world leaders aren't really doing much to tackle this but you know what is what can we as individuals do to make sure that we, you know, live more sustainably? Yeah, another great question. So, yeah, I think, so we do know what needs to be done. Mm. Uh, I think that's always worth remembering. This isn't like a, um, 
we're not lost in a maze and don't know where to go. We yeah. actually there's quite a good pathway we could be following. Mm. Um, and I think there's a couple of, especially right now, going into this very hard winter. I think there's a few things that we need to do immediately, and that includes, you know, asking our government, demanding the government for urgent financial support to keep people warm this winter. Yeah. Um, even with the government's price freeze, energy bills are still way too high for millions of us. Um, we also need that kind of nationwide insulation programme. I know it doesn't sound very interesting talking about insulation, hmm. but it's the cheapest and easiest way to reduce our bills permanently. Yeah. Um, but most people can't afford it, so we need to be demanding financial support for that as well. Hmm. Um, and then we need to do that kind of fixing that entire broken energy system that isn't working for us. So everyone deserves a warm home and there's no good reason apart from lack of political will that we can't have one. Mm. Um, so we need to be unlocking renewable energy in the UK yeah. um, so that everybody can have affordable clean energy. Um, and luckily the UK has a huge potential for renewable energy. Mm. Um, we've got loads of coastline, it means it's really windy, so it's good for wind energy. Uh, and believe it or not, even solar power in the UK. Um, and we need like what we as individuals can do is come together and show the government that people want that mm. energy they want clean energy they want reliable energy and they want affordable energy yeah. um and i think you know the pandemic showed us that strong and united communities can create change and can support each other through tough times mm. and i think if we come together as communities as individuals in you know in the communities that we are already part of mm. um and demand a warm home that we all deserve i think that's really powerful mm. um there's a, actually a grassroots community campaign called united for warm homes mm. and that's communities up and down the uk joining together to tackle rising bills and that climate change and pollution locally but also nationally mm. um and they're trying to create change locally yeah in communities but also um getting fixing the energy system um, on the agenda for the next general election, whenever mm. that comes. Yeah. Mm. Could you uh, please also share the aims of your organisation, Friends of Earth, and how we can collectively support and promote this environmental goal? Yeah, sure. So we're uh, an organisation dedicated to protecting the natural world and the well-being of people in yeah. it. Um, so we lead campaigns, we provide resources, we do research, um, and we try and create and drive real solutions to environmental problems that are facing us all here and around the world. Hmm. Um, we really try and put the put people at the centre of things, yeah. uh, and we have local groups in communities um, in more than 350 neighbourhoods around uh, England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, so we run kind of local campaigns to protect kind of maybe like wildlife conservation, recycling, making communities more climate friendly, um, getting councils to do more to help people to be climate friendly, uh, and obviously pushing, doing that kind of big job of pushing the government to take those kind of big national level steps that we need as well. Because, you know, ultimately we have to make changes from the bottom, so individually mm. and in communities, and then we have to make changes from the top, the government side of things at the same time. Um, and we're also part of Friends of the Earth International, which is uh, a huge grassroots environmental network covering 73 different countries, uh, mm. working with local people across the world. Um, so, yeah, I would 
and we are helping out with um, in fact powering this campaign this united for warm homes hmm. campaign um and i think if people want to get involved with that that would be really great because yeah it is going to be a tough winter and we do need to address our energy system um, and you can do that by basically just googling uh, or searching united for warm homes mm. or going to friends of the earth.uk um, to get involved mm. definitely no you know that's really great work that you guys are doing um, thank you so much for joining us this morning it's been an absolute pleasure uh, for now have a good morning and take care you too thank you so much thank you bye bye for now so that was Rachel Kennelly from Friends of Earth and you know mm. she's um, she's said some really interesting things about the you know the United for Homes um, thing um, that grassroots, yeah, grassroots, grassroots levels and yeah. uh, you know th- mm. things which are happening on not just a local level yeah, but on, but a, on, on a national, national level scale as well. And uh, you know, challenging these uh, these energy prices because you know, as mm. she mentioned, uh, it, it is it is going to be a difficult a difficult, difficult winter. Winter, yeah. uh, winter is winter coming. Winter is coming indeed. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Mm. Um, let's listen to uh, an audio clip, uh, which is of uh, of His Holiness how some youth of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, here in the UK, some students uh, from uh, which are based around uh, London. They came and they visited visited uh, his holiness. They had a, they had a, an audience with his holiness, the the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad may Allah be his helper, um, on the fourth of September, twenty twenty one. Let's listen to that uh, right now. A brief a brief audio clip from that. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Waalaikumsalam. My name is Yusuf Khan and I'm from New Malden, Kiadit. My question is, many people are worried about climate change recently. What is Islam's take on climate change? And is there any advice for people at home? <laughs> you see, Allah Ta'ala says that excess of everything is bad, right? Although, you see, whatever the climate change is because of the industrial revolution, too much uh, smoke is being sent on in the air. Air is being polluted. This is why it is one of the causes of the climate changes. Secondly, the, the, the trees are being cut and uh, no new forestation is being done. In the, especially in the third world countries, right? Although the population is increasing, but if we have proper plans, we can make, we can accommodate the population in such a way that uh, within the limited area of the land, we can accommodate as many people as possible. Right? And infrastructure should be provided according to that. Okay? So, if we are not following the, you need the, what law of nature requires from us, then the ultimate result will be that we are going to ruin our future. We are going to doom ourselves or our generation. 
So, the, the best way is that uh, instead of the, the greed or involving too much, involving ourselves too much in, in, the, in the, the comfort of the world, and by creating so much of gadgets and, and you see, without any, you know, proper planning, increase our production. And because of the competition as China is doing, and India is doing, or America is doing, now China, China says that because America started this pollution on of the climate pollution some hundred years ago. So, this is why they have announced themselves. Now, we have started it now and we shall take again next hundred years before we stop. So, every country have their own vested interests. They are not uh, thinking of their future, about their future generation. Right? So, the best thing is that apart from making proper planning, that uh, how much fuel emission should be done or how can we control it alongside it, we should encourage and even force the third world countries to plant more trees so their, uh, the air pollution becomes less. And in this way, it will help us to reduce the climate change. Okay. That was uh, uh, a, a young uh, a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community asking His Holiness how we can uh, how we can you know tackle climate change. What's the best way in which we can do that? And definitely, you know, His Holiness. Uh, one of the things which he mentioned was that there needs to be proper planning. There needs to be a proper planning. If, I mean, if there's so much. Uh, things, so many products being uh, being created. Uh, if there's mass production which is happening, but then the, on the other side, there's no way in which we can, you know, accommodate, um, you know, the rising population. Just for one example, then you know we 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 need to have a proper planning. We need to have proper infrastructure, and we can, you know, the you know countries can actually. Um, you know, accommodate accommodate population. Countries can actually mm. come together, make policies which are which are bet which are good for the environment. Not just not just talking about infrastructure when it, when it comes to um, you know chopping down trees and everything, planting new trees. That's mm. just one thing which can be implemented as well. So, according to analysis uh, uh, researchers at Stanford University, they said that um, mm. you know for the entire world to switch its infrastructure f- to renewable energy, right? It right. would cost $62 trillion. But... Trillion dollars, yeah. But in six years' time... Yeah. We'll be saving $11 trillion every single year. Hmm. So in the... In the science. In, it's, it's, it's science, isn't it? <laughs> it is, <laughs> in, it in, is. In, in the long term, we'll be saving so much more and 99.7% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels would be cut. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Hmm. If, you, if you look at statistics uh, in that sort of perspective, then, it go, then, you, then, then you can understand that, you know, 
there is there is yeah. hope. There instead is hope. Of, instead of looking uh, to you know go to Mars and you know yeah <laughs> instead of yeah living in a, a hospitable environment, just no. You know I understand that for the you know yeah. the future and the development and all of that for of mankind, yeah. we should be looking at those options. But you know that's not the main goal. We should that's be protecting goal. our planet. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's our show for today. Thank you so much. Uh, for tuning in, for listening, it's been an it's been a pleasure uh, presenting with you, uh, as always. As, always. as, as always uh, thank you to all of our guests who took time out and presented with us. Uh, you know, spoke to us and shed some light on uh, on on the topics today. Uh, today's show was produced by Mehrish Dogger and also Hania, uh, and researched by Nobera Khan, Maria Sheikh. Um, uh, um, uh, Safiya Nasser and all the people that were yep. there on the and research the tech team department as well. and of course the te- te- technical department until next time Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuhu Peace be upon you